Cinnabuds, Cinnabuds, two buddies talking about cinema. Hi, hello. Hi, hello. I'm 89's Justin Barney. I'm Milwaukee Films' Christopher Pollard. And this is Cinnabuds. Today on Cinnabuds, we are talking about Judas and the Black Messiah. Repeat after me. Christopher, what is Judas and the Black Messiah about? Judas and the Black Messiah is the story of Fred Hampton, who's the chairman of the Black Panther Party in Chicago in the late 60s. Um, and he was assassinated uh, by a Cook County uh, like infiltrator from the FBI. They had like uh, a person pose as one of their party, infiltrate, and then betray him to the FBI. And... I mean, this is no spoiler because this is historical, uh, but the, the the FBI, the government assassinated him. Christopher, what did you think about this movie? What did you, what'd you think? It, honestly, it's superb. It, it's really good. Uh, it's really, it's one of those things where, and I know you like this too, where it's a thing that I like. I had it. I knew I've heard of Fred Hampton. I, 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 a lot of things come have come out in the last 10 to 20 years. You really get to know the Black Panther Party in the last... Uh, several years and this is another like glimpse at what what they were all about and then more specifically uh who fred hampton was and the power he had in that party and what he achieved and how terrified he made the establishment because he was doing good things and he was standing up for uh his community uh it, it's great i mean i really i'm so happy to know about this guy and his family and the Black Panther Party. You, I just remember when I was I was trying to remember when I was a kid, and I even thought to myself, I wish I had my history book from high school. And uh-huh. I'm talking like the early '90s because I guarantee you know they talk about history is written by the people in power. Right. I guarantee I had a notion of the Black Panther Party that was wholly different than what I see it is. It really is. Yeah. And I do think they teach you in school the wrong things. I mean, we've seen that time and time again. So I don't know. It just it it sent me down this rabbit hole of what I have known, quote unquote, as a kid and what I'm now realizing as an adult. I think that it hit me in a similar um like emotional way like that. I was so surprised at how much I loved this as a movie. Yeah. I like coming in. I so, so a lot of times with biopics, I think, uh, especially ones like this that depict like a very specific time where there was footage and there was a lot of coverage, it's usually uh, like a dramatization of the time. Yeah. And you go into Judas and the Black Messiah knowing exactly what's going to happen. Right. You know, it is like it's like, like Titanic. You, no one yeah. can spoil. Should be able to spoil it for you. You, you should know what's yeah. going on. Judas is the first word in the title. Like yeah. you know. <laughs> that's true. Even if you have no knowledge of history, I mean, you can. Con- I mean, you have a little bit. You know what Judas means. And still, I was hit by every single like every single emotional beat that they put into this. I was struck by, and I came out being frustrated and mad and moved 
and uh, it it worked on every level. I I loved this. I yeah. thought it was so good. And again, and I'm uh, I've heard uh, Titanic is still tense, even though you know it's going to happen. I've not seen sure. it, and nor will I. Um, but it's one of those movies where I it's like I know it's going to happen, but the tension is not allayed by the fact that I know it's going to happen. I'm just constantly like, don't, don't do it. Right. Uh, And the performances were amazing. I mean, we'll get into it in the next section, but I mean, there's a lot of good stuff to talk about for this film. Uh, We're going to talk more about the, the performances and biopics and programming at Milwaukee film uh, right after the break. Every time you tune into 88.9, you discover something new. Your musical horizons expand or you journey to a new corner of Milwaukee. Our programming introduces you to new artists, finds hope and inspiration in our community, and connects you to your neighbors. If you enjoy Radio Milwaukee, then we invite you to make another discovery. The power of membership. Visit RadioMilwaukee.org and click the orange heart to learn more. Okay, and we're back. Christopher. Yeah. As I was, like, kind of touching on there, um... uh, uh, biopics a lot of times I have come out of a lot of them thinking that I want to watch the documentary because a biopic especially one like this that is of a very specific time it's an event that I know of I mean we both watched Agnes Varda uh, yeah. Black Panthers yeah. um, and it, it is like I feel like I've got an understanding of them but also um, it is I feel like Black Panthers are one of those things where I feel like I have more of an understanding than I actually do. And watching a movie like this was incredibly insightful and put you right there and really made you understand um, more than the aesthetic, more than kind of the uh, the like black power establishment dynamic, but the community outreach that they did, the kind of like world building and philosophy that they had, and just the very human struggle that they faced and the absolutely systemic, crushing systemic problem which they faced and which they, you know, were could you seemingly could never have surmounted. But here we are like still still talking about it, still fighting it, still still like bending that arc of history towards their rightness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, there's so much that has come out. Um, I was just going through my phone trying to find all of the films that I can remember for the last, like, like I think 10 years maybe. Um, and it's so interesting. I, I mean, it's not, it's not surprising. This is a time we live in where we need to know about, the Black Panther Party. We need to know about these kind of uh, revolutionary activist organizations that, so we know that like, oh, this has been happening for a while and yeah. we're still doing it and that work still needs to continue. And it's fascinating. We There was a uh, Stanley Nelson documentary about the Black Panther Party. There's Black Power mixtape from several years ago. Um, it, we, and there's even like in... I think there was something, some other TV show where a section of it highlighted the Black Panther Party, and it was like a time travel TV show. It was like it wasn't. It was like an, mostly for entertainment, but like the they're they're not only this historical organization, but they're they're pop culture. Even I mean, they're showing up in pop culture. So I mean, it's it's a very interwoven organization into our culture that we're still talking about. And this one is so, so nice because it it 
kind of hones in on one story from this vast organization. Right. Which really brings it home. It gets personal. You see their lives, their family. And that's what I like about biopics is because you talk about, we talk about biopics being like, well, there, there's always an exaggeration and on occasion there is, and and, and often there is, I, let's be honest, often there is, but the, the justification sort of is like, it's for the film. You have to create the story, but it's not like such a big lie <laughs> that right. it it doesn't bring the message across. And I, I'm not even talking about this one. There's some that do it worse than others. I'm looking at you, Green Book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the, the cool thing that I learned about this is that uh, Fred Hampton Jr., uh, Fred Hampton's son, yeah. uh, and his wife were consultants on this film. And they were they were talking with the actors and the writers every step of the way. Yeah. So then that makes me even feel more confident that there's a lot of truth and possibly only truth in this film. Yeah. A lot of filmmakers have taken this story to to the Hamptons um, over over the years. I listened to uh, 99% Invisible, the podcast, yeah. uh, is teaming up to do a series of podcasts about this movie. And I listened to episode one and it was, it was very well done. And they talk about the like relationship that they formed with the family and the edits that they made over the years to get this right. Yeah. Um, and I, and I also, I think it's the right, it is the right movie for the right time. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Aside from, uh, the Black Panther story, which is a great story to tell it being the right movie for the right time. What did you think about it? as a movie i heard oh, i yeah. heard i heard a, a friend of mine said that there was too much going on for it to build characters and i understand that because it is also it's trying to build the world of the black panthers and make you understand the the community outreach yeah. the organization of this and you have to understand them you have to understand the fbi you have to understand the systemic dynamics and also to like have some character development is difficult i wasn't as hard as he was on that i thought it did some of those really well um what did what did you think about the about it as a movie yeah, as a movie, I thought it was uh, technically incredibly done. The photography was really nice. There was a very intimate moment with um, with uh, Fred and Deborah where they're in their bedroom, and it's like shot from just slightly outside of their room. The lighting is nice. It's like a more in- intimate photography for that. But then you have the harsh realism of the rest of like the 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 kind of confrontation scenes. I thought those were really really well done. I did too. I really thought that uh, the Fred Hampton and Deborah Johnson. I really thought that those pieces were really, really well done. I, yeah. I think it, it like it showed that they they had this love and they didn't need to say a lot about it. You know, yeah, it, right. it was just it was it was loving, and they they even had like a little tiny subplot. I was so amazed that they were able to do so much in so little time with those two. Yeah, and I see, I can see I can kind of see what he's saying. Um, the thing is, the two characters that are the biggest focus are. Fred Hampton and Bill O'Neill, mm. uh, uh, played by played expertly by Lakeith Stanfield, who I want to talk about because we've, I think we've talked about a lot of his films on our show, and I know yeah, we're we like, have we we're have. like Stanfield heads, right? Uh, <laughs> Stanfield stands, yeah, Stanfield fields. Um, they so they do focus on those two characters, and I thought those two characters were built wonderfully, and those uh, are the focus. Always a criticism of a lot of films are the female characters don't get enough attention. I agree in this, but I understand a little bit. Like, I think you're right. They do show you their relationship build a little bit and kind of enough. They're kind of economical about it because they don't have time 
to and it's focus also, on it. It's also more than just the relationship. You show that she like also has this desire and that right. she like has it in her to be a Fred Hampton, but she is carrying a child. And yeah. it shows like the like the struggle that she has with that. And also the, you know, the privilege that he has as a man to not have to, you know, to not have to think about those things or that right. he, that like those dynamics are different and the sacrifice that she has to make. Yeah. When you're, uh, when you're looking at these that. characters and that aren't the, the prime focus of the story, you have to be really economical. And I think they did that really well with those moments where she confronts him where she like challenges yeah. him yeah and then also those like endearing moments and there was like two or three of those like challenging slash endearing moments between them where you really get a sense of it and so uh, considering how little time they had to put into that i thought they did great the other but some of the background characters who were played by like substantial actors ashton sanders who was in uh, moonlight he plays one of the black panther party that uh later on gets into one big confrontation, but he doesn't, but other than that, he doesn't have much of a role. And I was right. very surprised by him being in that role because I was like, he's really good. And honestly, yeah. little Rel comes in there too. Little, little Rel's there. And that, that <laughs> makes sense. Cause he's in there for like just a flash. That's what that character like is supposed perfect, to be. A, a perfect little splash of him. Yeah. But I do, I do want to say Ashton Sanders, who, when he did, talk which was only like maybe three times in the film i you just i just felt it from him like i i wanted more from him because he just delivers everything really well um and yeah i i'm just impressed by him but they had i mean they had a powerful cast really well done and speaking of uh, you know speaking well daniel kaluuya who um how is he british how is he how is he british i i listened to him talk in the in the podcast that i listened to about this yeah and i was like wow i did not even realize that in movies that i had seen of him before yeah and he has this incredible weight and responsibility of playing fred hampton who is the great orator you know he is like fred hampton like was i mean was at it, as the title of the movie, the black Messiah, you know, he, he was able to, they, I, I listened to some things about Fred Hampton going into a club in Chicago yeah. where they're like playing music and people are dancing. And Fred Hampton like went up to the DJ, turned the music down and then gave a speech about the black Panther party. And it, it and it wasn't, the room wasn't like upset that he did this. It, he right, was yeah. able to like, you know, recruit people and people were excited by him talking because he was just an he was an incredible speaker and i thought that that i thought that daniel uh uh kaluuya played that so well and was oh, able yeah. to like to bring that tone and that energy and every time he talked you were just like you felt like you were in safe hands you were like oh you were soothed by the yeah. way that <laughs> yeah that he spoke some of the best moments in the movie are the two or three times he has to speak in front of people yeah and the first Absolutely. time it's like people who are already on your side so fine then there's two times when like oh these people are are not okay with you being here but then they quickly become okay with you being there because you convince them and you speak to them in this beautiful way but yeah those moment those scenes were great in the movie and there was like two or three of them so it was like meaty and that and that one where he's saying I am a revolutionary and he's do they're doing the call and response yeah. I had goosebumps man yeah for I, sure. that was like I was like wow this is the power of you know of public speech this is it was it was like really beautiful 
We should have a segment on our show where called uh, K Polly cries and just <laughs> and just point at the film the points in the film where my eyes well up uh, with uh, masculine masculine tears. There's the point where he had to go to uh, one of his comrades' mother. And tell and talk to her after her son was killed. Boy. Oh, oh boy! Usually, if someone's in the room with me, I can Big keep it together. But eyes. I, I just had to like kind of look a, look away oh, and <laughs> try to like don't make any noise. Just let them fall. It was yeah. really, really heartbreaking. Um, but there, it's it's a passionate movie. There's a lot of incredible performances and very passionate people in this film i thought so too i thought it was yeah great. it's an excellent it's an excellent film and it reminds me of a lot of films that have been coming out lately uh talking like that reflect upon different times of black struggle in america that make it so timely and yeah. it's nice to see that we keep getting them one we keep getting amazing films from black filmmakers and then also they're coming at the perfect time and they don't stop. Yeah. And that's 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 the best part of it. I think that is the best part. I mean, it is definitely like keeping the energy for this going. And yeah. it is. Yeah. Because in the I past think you get like point. one, you get one here and there. Yeah. That reminds yeah, yeah, you. yeah. Now it's like this, How like we have to get this message across. And that so it's nice point. that they just keep coming and it's and they're all of a really high caliber. That is a very good point. If people liked Judas and the Black Messiah, what else might they might they like? I mean, I would it's a di- it's a different kind of film, but I would go uh, this is, sounds like I'm being lazy, but go back to the film we talked about last week, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Yeah. Um I mean, it's also I mean, you see commentary about today from a time long ago. Um, and that I thought was really effective done in a very different way, in a more theatrical way. Like we talked about it is based on, uh, based on a play, um, between the world and me, uh, that uh, that's on HBO. I think also on HBO max, uh, that one is just uh, so heartbreaking. It talks, it, I was the same, similar themes. Uh, but man, you really, you feel yeah. that in a different way from some great performances too. Isn't it? When I was watching this, I, I, there was a part of, of me that was like it, it it is a it's a film that i could see spike lee directing and uh, i was in my head i was like comparing it a bit to black klansman and i was like it's not as stylish as black klansman or as it doesn't have that like i love spike style yeah it still held up and it was still like excellent in in its own right without having like all those uh, directorial flourishes. It's interesting though, because what I was noticing and I was trying to find other examples besides black Klansman uh, and of five bloods, which is similar, which is also Spike Lee. Um, but the, the intercutting with one intercutting with uh, actual footage from the time yeah. into these historical biopics or, or historical films. Uh, Small that, that, did that. Yeah, Small Axe did that. Uh, Spike Lee's been doing it. Uh, that They had that in there, too. But also the music, uh, the oh. music being so dead on. <laughs> but not just the music. There's using uh, poetry from the time. Lovecraft County does it so well because they intersperse uh, poetry and incredible music in that show. This, this did the same thing. Uh, 
Judas and the Black Messiah did the same thing. At the beginning, they had some poetry moments where instead of a soundtrack where you normally have music, there's a poem that comes in uh, from the time. So that and, that was really – I mean, there's a bits of – it's a pretty straightforward as far as like a biopic goes. But there's yeah. definitely these moments of style that come in that really elevate it. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that bit. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. This it's so good, and then she's she, like, right before she reads her poem, uh, like Deborah reads her poem to Fred. Right before the beginning of that scene, there's a poem that comes in, uh, that that kind of overlays the scene, and then you're gonna get this quieter moment. There's a bit where like, Lakeith Stanfield was doing something, and they had like this kind of frantic jazz music playing behind him. Yeah, and I was like, wow. Yeah, that was. and it creates incredible tension. I do. I I think you and I looked, watched the same, or I don't know if you listened or watched, but on HBO Max they have a bunch of extras, and I watched some of that as well. They interviewed Chuck D at one point because they're just talking about historical context, and Chuck D had some amazing insights, having grown up as a little kid in that in that movement, like yeah. uh, being surrounded by it in his community. But um, they also Lakeith Stanfield talked about how. He, he when he got this the script he assumed he was being asked to play Fred Hampton <laughs> and when and when and he said yeah I was talking to Shaka and he let me talk and talk about how cool we'd play Fred Fred Hampton and he just let me talk for a while and then he said actually I was thinking of you for the Bill O'Neill part and he's like he was like kind of upset at first because he's like this guy's terrible <laughs> I kind of don't want to play him but then he started to realize that. There's a lot of nuance to that to that part, but it's just funny because they're like, "Yeah, you're getting to that point where you can get a script and you think oh, I'm going to play the main guy, <laughs> right?" Oh, that's so good. Uh, yeah, I think went with Lakeith. He was so good. Also, this film was uh, co-written by two comedians that I like. These two, tw- they're twins. Uh, uh, comedians and uh, they I didn't realize until I looked at those the extras that they were the co-writers they kind of got it started what are they it's uh, Ken and Keith Lucas uh, the Lucas brothers they are stand-up comedians and they perform together and they're very like dry mild-mannered tone to them and they're very funny so I was very surprised that they made this like intensely dramatic historical drama interesting but I think they went to film school and uh, so they're and they're very they're like well-versed in this. Oh, so uh, they went to film school so they can do anything. Yeah. 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 That's, that's the message I'm sending. What, um, what else have you been watching? Christopher? I had a fun weekend where I revisited some, uh, ridiculous classics from the eighties. Ooh. Okay. And when I, I say classics in quotes, uh, I watched solar babies again. Oh, what? If you've not seen solar babies has, uh, Jamie Gertz, who is in every 80s movie, Jason Patrick, a young Lucas Haas. It's this futuristic world <laughs> where there's no more water. Uh, there's very little water. And for some reason, uh, all of these kids go around on roller skates. <laughs> <laughs> and I love you just laughing at... <laughs> I mean the concept, the and then they, and they, the the whole plot revolves on them them discovering a alien ball, like a ball. <laughs> it's just made of light that is an alien, and that is part of the plot. Okay, I just looked it, it up on IMDb. Here are some of the names of the characters. There's Grok. Sure. There's Tug. These are future names. 
There is Green Tree, Ivor, yeah. uh-huh. Dogger. Yep. You know, classic, classic names. We'll get there someday. Yeah. People don't name their kid Dogger anymore. You it's know, like one of those, it's like Stanley. Nobody, well, you know, always waiting for it to take off. It's and like, where's do- where are the Doggers at? You would think Grok would be next on, the, on the next Mason, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ian Grok <laughs> Dogger. Uh, then I also watched uh, um, Hell Comes to Frogtown. <laughs> oh, my God. It's hard to say it without laughing. It stars Rowdy, Roddy friends. Piper. I've never had any friends. I don't want any friends. I'm never going to have any friends. Uh, and that's all you need to know. It's about another future. I mean, these were like, a, it's a great double feature because they're both about the future where it's like this barren, dusty wasteland. Uh, except in... Um, Hell comes to Frog Town. Uh, there's a nuclear war, and some people turn into frog people. Some people. Some people do. And then Rowdy Rowdy Piper is one of the few males that has a sperm Oh my count. god. Let me just read this IMDB <laughs> description. Yeah. After a worldwide nuclear war where 68% of the male population was wiped out sure. and uh, virile men becoming a rarity. Sam yeah. Hell, great name. Right. A scavenger and highly virile man, of course, his name is Sam Hell, right. is assigned to help rescue a group of fertile women kidnapped by humanoid <laughs> frogs? Oh, what? I know this sounds like a joke, but this genuinely sums up the 80s. There's so much like stuff that's not okay in this movie. <laughs> Like mildly not okay, uh, or just not okay, but it's rowdy. It's so ridiculous. Where did you watch uh, this? That one is on. Uh, oh, that one was on um, uh, Hoopla, the library's streaming service, which I highly recommend using the library wow. streaming service. Yeah, uh, wow. but yeah, so it's actually it was such a good double feature. It was futuristic, uh, like wasteland films. Um, so those were really fun. I highly recommend for anyone who's not under who, who's not under 40 because I, I feel like any movies you watch before last week are problematic in many ways but sure yeah hell comes to frogtown rowdy rowdy piper's not in enough movies he was in they live which is a great movie and he's actually good in it he's not too over the top this one was really silly he got hit in the nuts many times and crossed his eyes every time <laughs> Which is, I mean, if you're watching with the right set of eyes, that's the perfect. <laughs> it's gets better every time. What, oh, what have you been watching? I'm sorry, I just still laughing about it. Hey, what have you been seeing? I was just waiting for know, you to yeah. ask me a question. You were, like, and I was like, <laughs> Christopher, I'm here too. You can talk to me. See me. This is See me. I just this, want to be seen. This, I am seeing you. Honestly, I was just trailing off thinking about him getting crossing his eyes while getting hit in the nuts every 10 minutes. And I was like, ah, so good. A simpler time. No, I do want to know. What have you been watching? Um, I watched a bunch of, have I talked about less blank documentaries before and how much I love them? Yeah. Uh, So I just watched more less blank documentaries. I am obsessed with the man. Yeah. I, I, he does such a great description of of just like really capturing and i also really love that he uses film that he you know that he clearly got 
uh, and clearly like used in another film. And oh, he'll just yeah. like he'll just use like B roll from that or like whatever applies to his other films. So he did like all these movies about like Cajun country in Louisiana and uh, uh, and New Orleans, and uh, he just kind of like uses the same. It's just like different shots that he must have taken, and he was just like, okay, well, this one is in this documentary, and this one is in this one, and uh, I I really love how he how he does that, and so watch a ton of uh, less blank documentaries. It's it must be when you see several in a row, then you can start catching that. That's yeah, nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. And also for my like mindless TV, I've been watching Mr. Mayor. It is a, a network TV show. It is produced by Tina Fey and uh, it is 20 minutes long. It is the jokes are the jokes are fine. Yeah. Proving every episode. Yeah. And uh, it has Ted Danson and it has Bobby Moynihan. I love Bobby Moynihan. Which and is Holly like Holly Hunter. All, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Holly Hunter. And it's like that perfect, you know, it's like just starting for a TV show. And yeah. so the like first couple episodes of anything like aren't really yeah. great and like you yeah. can't figure them out. But it like what it does really well, it's like it's got me with Ted Danson and Bobby Moynihan. You know, like those are those are like two characters who I really love. And I'm like, I will just watch anything with those because those yeah. are two people that I know and like. But then uh, as like the episodes have gone on, there's uh, Vela Lovell uh, has yeah. Is a is a character in it, and I've never seen her in anything. And now, like, I'm really invested in her character, and I also really like her and like Holly Hunter uh, as well, and some of the other ones. So I, it's just like been a, the really nice twenty minute sitcom oh, TV show. I will say I've been very interested in that one because, and it is, I'll be honestly, mostly because of Bobby Moynihan, who I think he's is so good in it too. So good. And adorable. I love him too. And I honestly, I was just thinking like the day before I watched it, I was like, what happened to Bobby Moynihan? I really liked him. Yeah. I thought he was a real talent and he like, hasn't really been in anything. And then I started watching Mr. Mayor and I was like, Oh, here he is. Yeah. That sounds great. I I'm actually really interested in it. What I'm, I, I do want to point out, I've been noticing that I think we talked about this at one point. I think since the lockdown pandemic, whatever, uh, <laughs> like whatever. whatever, we're all exhausted. Um, my, I have such a hard time. Like, thank God for this show because I'm forced, uh, lovingly forced to watch good films. Right. But on my own, uh, I am watching such garbage and, or, or just rewatching stuff that I'm already comfortable with. And I think a lot of it <clears throat> is probably obviously like I just need comfort. Yeah. So I know. much comfort in these times. Yeah. But I really and when I do sit down and watch, I mean, I was really came to mind when I watched The Weasels. Yeah. Or a Weasel's Tale. Yeah. Um, because it's like, oh, this is the kind of movie that I really like these quirky, fun, but also art artistically credible films as opposed to hell comes to Frogtown. But um, also I like, as like, I never rewatch anything, you yeah. know, I am not a comfort watcher. I, it's just like not how my brain works. And I have also been rewatching things. And as a person that never rewatches things, it is nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I watched, I watched uh, no country for old men the other day. Oh yeah. And, um, it's like, Sometimes I think like, ah, I, I'm just like so like competitive with myself and thinking like I have to consume it all and I'm, you know, I need to watch something new and expand, expand, right. expand. And like, it is really nice to 
watch something at him. It, it, it's, it's a bit of a gift, you know, as yeah. well. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. I mean, I'm not, I do come down on myself for it like once a week, but <laughs> most of the time I'm like, you know what? Just got to get through, got to get to the end of that tunnel. And then maybe you'll watch good movies again. That's not, I mean, it's an exaggeration. I'm watching some good movies, but I want to watch iron Eagle. Go IMDB. It. <laughs> it's something that was on channel 11 in St. Louis almost every Saturday <laughs> starring Jason Gedrick and Louis Gossett jr. <laughs> Mayday. Mayday. Chappy. Chappy, where are you? Just put in that tape. There's an order. Nothing you can do about me. Chappy, I want to help you. Where are you? Climb high like I told you. Doug, I ain't gonna make it. Chappy! Oh I really... Wow, I you am, are really just like going back to I'm the devolving, 80s. I'm devolving Dude. into the 80s. I just got a book about 80s films. Uh, it's like a PhD, like it's probably like it's somebody's dissertation, like based on how it's actually packaged. I, <laughs> but about social relevance of these like eighties yeah. films. It's really, I didn't even know that there are so many films like this. You could do a, your yeah. own, like, you know, curation of this somehow. Well, that I, I, I uh, so oh, uh, uh, it's funny, funny that you mentioned it. Oh, oh God. I, I have been like looking for books about that talk in a serious and not so serious way about the films of the eighties. Cause I I'm realizing what a uh, passion I have for a decade that I hated while I was in it. But looking back, I'm like, this, there's, it's such a distinct era and it's so fun and flawed in so many ways. Right. Um, so it's very interesting to me. I want to hear but, this dissertation. I know it's not mine. Uh, I will, uh, maybe, I'll, maybe we'll check do it back. Maybe we will do an episode where you just talk about. I, yeah. I would like, honestly, I would like to hear that as as a person who did not um, grow up in the eighties. Grew up in the eighties, uh, and I I missed this. Uh, you know these halcyon days of <laughs> yeah. Uh, men's we were being all frog, on coke. Frog it was just mad. coke as far <laughs> as the eye can see. And all these like weird action futuristic movies that yeah. are kind of campy and oh kind of- man, so that that's like bread and butter. Like uh, Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension is one of the best titles of a film. It's also got like a young Jeff Goldblum in it. Uh, there's yeah, there's some really really wild, and I I I will say this. I'm going to start the episode now. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that my taste now. In stuff, the stuff I really adore, which is like imaginative, really strange, kind of wild uh, movies. I like imagination in film as opposed to realism in film. I do like realism in film, but like my real bread and butter is this more imaginative films. Right. Not even going so far as to say fantasy, just like just cr- stories that you would n- never think of. And I do think it is based, rooted in these wild movies of the 80s that had these absurd concepts and uh and uh, color and imagination and fantasy and it kind of seems like guillermo del toro is like the only one that is like still kind of pulling it off or trying well i think there's a lot of like foreign directors Ah. like a lot of foreign films that i'm oh korean cinema korean cinema is a perfect example uh there's a i forgot what country this movie is from but there's one called uh um, 
Scary Mother. And Scary Mother is, it's like a really light David Lynch film. It's like a really gradual and light and subtle for a while David Lynch film um, that I thought was just amazing. And I haven't heard anything from that director in the last few years. And I, we had it at the festival is how I discovered it. I could go on and on. But, I think um, I think you're onto something here because because I I really love those too. It's like uh, I mean that makes a lot of sense with like the Blade movies, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. The Blade movies are a '90s incarnation of like of I, I'll be honest concept. with you, and I, I'm just discovering this right now. If Blade was made in the '80s, oh my god, how <laughs> would that have affected me? That's like. 10 times as powerful as my connection is now because I am now trying to think like who would have played him in the eighties and how, what would it have looked like, but because it existed, it, maybe it like extended that. Yeah. It was a, br- it was a bridge. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a bridge from the eighties into the nineties and two thousands, still maintaining that over the top, kind of silly, kind of cool. I'm digging in on some psychological oh, stuff, man. We're we're getting there, Christopher. We yeah. are getting there. I like it. Cinethoughts. Cinethoughts. Maybe we'll do an episode about that. That sounds yeah. like we're that sounds like you've got a lot to say. I just <laughs> yeah. Didn't I'm even not, realize I it. Make a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get going. Do some right. cocaine like we did in the eighties. <laughs> do a all night podcast. All right. Um Okay, great. Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah is where we started out. What? How did we get here? Yeah. Uh, you can watch that on HBO Max. Also, there's a ton of uh, Black History Month programming on Milwaukee Film. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, Milwaukee Film, we have Black History Month, and we're dedicating the whole month to like over 30 films. So you can go to mkefilm.org slash bhm, and, and you can remember that because it stands for Black History Month. Great. Um, yeah, a lot of great films over there. I'd take them out, check them out. Um, this has been Cinebuds. Cinebuds is edited by DJ Kenny Perez. We have hand, hand, handcrafted sonic inspiration from the License Lab. Our theme song is from Milwaukee musician Brett Newski. We call him the Newsk. And thank you to our members from 88.9 Radio Milwaukee and Milwaukee Film. Yay. And this whole thing would not be possible without the love the mind, the dedication of Christopher Bauer. Obama, Barack Obama. Oh, <laughs> I thought it was for Barack Obama. Oh, no, it's for you. Thank you.